Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Have you recovered yet? I hope so. I'll be honest with you, it took me a little bit of time. Double overtime game on Saturday. Moving the clocks ahead Saturday night for daylight savings. I'll be happy. Quick side note, I'll be happy if we get rid of that. I'm done with daylight savings. I love going backwards. It's great in the fall. That spring ahead, oh boy, that's always tough. And it's even tougher when you're working a double overtime game the night before. And not, you know, crawling in the sheets until uh, 2 a.m. or whatever it was. It was actually 3 a.m., I guess, by the time the clock clicked, clocks clicked ahead. So I'm done with that. Or at the very least, can we move until after the college hockey playoffs? Because it it, it happens every year. <laughs> every year there's something going on where we move the clocks ahead and I'm stuck, you know, working a late night because of something going on the night before. Never expected double overtime, but, hey, it was a lot of fun, right? Uh, Merrimack and BC on Saturday. Everybody knows the story. What a game. Uh, one, I, I wrote this, I think, um, or I may have said it to somebody in conversation, one of the best games I've ever covered, and, and one of the best Merrimack games I've ever covered. Maybe the best Merrimack game I've ever covered. Um, you know, you think back, the only other double overtime game they've played in that I've been around for was the double overtime game against Northeastern in the 2015 playoffs, I think it was. Rasmus Tiernan made 63 saves, I think, in that game. <laughs> Uh, less shots on goal in this one, but plenty of quality. Like, it's crazy. I said to somebody after the game, too, uh, I said, you know, it's usually a 0-0 game is boring, especially a 0-0 game in double overtime with only 36 shots apiece on the board. I mean, we've seen regulation games with more than 36 shots. You know, we've they've played an extra, you know, period and a half, and, and there was only 36 shots on goal. But it, it was crazy to me the number of scoring chances that both teams had, specifically in the overtime. But really, like, throughout the course of the game, remember the play earlier in the game where Alex Jeffries had the puck, I think it was Jeffries, had the puck that stopped right on the goal line. Like, it literally stopped on the goal line. Benson was able to get his pad on it and keep it out of the net. I think BC hit two posts, one in overtime. Like, oh, boy, just chances and chances and chances. And and at that point, look, Merrimack's in a better pairwise position now, but make no mistake about it. They were playing for their lives on Saturday. If, Mer- if Merrimack lost to Boston College on Saturday night, we would not be talking about the pairwise this week. We would not be talking about anything. Uh, we wouldn't be talking about should they be waiting around and practicing and seeing if they get in. We'll have to step to see. No. If Merrimack lost on Saturday night, they, they would be done. We'd be doing you know year-end awards right now and, and, and things like that. We wouldn't be talking about the pairwise in, in this upcoming weekend uh, and what it wouldn't matter to Merrimack. It wouldn't matter at all. But they get the win. And they move on. Crazy week. Um, speaking of year-end awards, the league handed out their year-end awards earlier today. Uh, they did their all-star teams earlier, earlier in the week. 
Devin Levi was named the player of the year. I think that's deserved. You know, Alex Jeffries was a finalist. I also think that was deserved. Uh, Levi was the best goaltender in the league, has been the best goaltender in the league last two seasons. Lane Hudson was the rookie of the year. I think you could have made a, a, a case for Hudson as player of the year. So, yeah, Lane Hudson is the rookie of the year. That makes total sense. Um, J.P. Andolfo was named the coach of the year, which was interesting to me. And I don't – look, I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. But I find it interesting that both times in the last 12 years where Merrimack has been in this situation, their coach should have been named the coach of the year and wasn't. Scott Borg was the coach of the year in hockey this year. There's no question. I'm sorry. Anyone who thinks otherwise is wrong. And that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not bashing Jay Pandolfo when I say that. Jay Pandolfo did a great job at BU this year. But Merrimack was picked to finish eighth. They they had the, the tragedy of losing a coach at the beginning of the year. They somehow managed to get through all of that and finish second. Like, <laughs> I don't know. T- to me, it was a clear-cut choice for coach of the year. Uh, I thought it was a clear-cut choice for coach of the year in 2011, and I thought Mark Dennehy should have won it, and it went to Jerry York. In both cases, it went to the team that finished in first place. Interesting. Uh, again, in the grand scheme of things, I'm sure Merrimack and I'm sure Scott Boric would rather win the Hockey's Championship this weekend than win the league's Coach of the Year award. I, I, I'm certain of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, I, I thought it was a deserved honor. And, and quite frankly, I thought it was a no-brainer. So he was obviously in the top three. The finalists were Ben Barr, Scott Bork, and Jay Pandolfo. So, he, you know, I don't know where Bork was, if he was second or third, but he was in the top three. I personally would have had Bork number one, Barr number two, if I had a ballot. I, di- I didn't, by the way. Um, a lot of people have asked me that over the course of today, especially. But they, they've asked, you know, who votes for the postseason awards. It's the league head coaches. The league head coaches, I think, rank a one, two, three for all the awards and that's how the votes are tallied. It's the league coaches also do the preseason poll. The media, when it, when it comes to hockey's awards and things of that nature, the media has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, I've always thought that you could, in, and I think I wrote this today, I always thought you could leave it as a mixture of both so it's not just the coaches. You know, I think you could have also had some members of the media involved, not everybody, because there's so many people that fly in and fly out and they cover a team for a year not everybody, but, you know, tenured media. If you've been around the league for five-plus years and you cover the league all the time, then I think you should have a vote. And, you know, there's there's plenty of people that fall into that category, myself included. If you want to say non-team-affiliated media, then, okay, I, I understand that. You know, if you don't want to use and, – and, again, I, I – would have no issue with it if they went the other way around. But if you wanted to say, okay, well, the broadcasters are team employees. Well, I mean, hell, the coaches are team employees. So what are we even talking about? I don't know. But 
I, I mean, I think that at least gives a little bit of a checks and balance. <laughs> and again, it's no, it's no fault of anybody. I think it's real easy for, I'll put it like this. The preseason poll most often looks like the standings did the year before. Because I think not a lot of time gets put into the preseason poll. I actually know a coach that never did anything with any of the awards or the polls. He had his SID do it. <laughs> and he never actually sent it a ballot himself. <laughs> uh, it, it was not not at Merrimack. It was another league coach. Um, but the SID for, for this school said, yeah, I don't, you know, he doesn't do any of that. I, I do it all. <laughs> he just tells me to do it. Um so again, like that just goes to like, that, that. That's an example of how seriously some of these coaches take it. And I think if you're not taking it seriously, you go, "Who finishing first? Be you? Okay, yeah, yeah. Jay Pandolfo's coach of the year. I mean, I think you could put a little bit of thought into it. <laughs> and again, no knock on Jay Pandolfo; he'd be third on my ballot. But come on, the league coaches pick the preseason poll. So the same group of coaches that thought Merrimack was going to be an eight seed said, eh, you finish second, you have to go through everything you went through, not enough. <laughs> Sorry, not enough. Not enough to be coach of the year. <laughs> uh, that, that's the funny part to me. You know, it's not like different people voted in the, in the poll, in the league, in the awards. It was the same group of people. <laughs> same group. <laughs> so one group thought they were going to, you know, potentially be on the road in the first round of the hockey's playoffs as the eighth seed. And... uh you know, they would have clung to that last home ice spot in the first round. <laughs> and then when they finish second, that's eh, not enough. Sorry, it's not enough. So what is enough? Well, they, they have to go undefeated in the league? They have to get finished first? Like, what's the what's the bar here that we're talking about? But again, it's just it's what happens when not a lot of thought gets put into it, in my opinion. But anyway, um, we have a good conversation with Coach Bork on today's episode as they get ready for the Garden this weekend. One interesting note that he talked about, they can't practice at the Garden this week because there's a concert uh, there on Thursday night. So usually the teams practice at the Garden on Thursday. Merrimack not going to have the uh, the chance to do that, which I don't think is a huge deal, but it is a different setup. I know from the last time Merrimack was there, all of the players commented on how much warmer it was. It was a very warm building. And the ice, you know, behaved a little bit differently because of that. But I don't think it's a huge deal. They will skate there on Friday, um, so not a huge issue. But I, I do think, from Merrimack's standpoint, you want to get out there at least once so that your players have a chance to just kind of look around and take it in. You don't want guys taking it in in the first period. You know, you want all that out of the way. So uh, Merrimack and Lowell this weekend. Uh, let's get to head coach Scott Borg. We'll talk to him about the upcoming weekend and about the BC series last well, BC game last weekend. Uh, and then I'll be back to wrap it up in a bit. But first, it's the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Borg. Well, coach, I think the, the most important question is, has everyone recovered from what was a wild Saturday night against Boston College going to double overtime? Uh, what was, Has everybody recovered? Let's start with that. That's probably the most pressing question of the week. <laughs> uh, you know what? For the most part, yes. Um, we do have a one nagging injury that's kind of bugging us right now um, that, you know, probably has a 50-50 mark on playing. Um, and that, that's disappointing, you know, for the player as well as for our team. But, um, overall, I think we have, I think we, um, I think the nice thing about a game like that, 
obviously the adrenaline and the emotion and the, and the whole thing is really, really high. But uh, when you're playing a great game like that and it's that exciting, it, you know, it's playoff hockey, right? And, and I'd rather have it that way than uh, be in a situation where we're winning, um, you know, winning big in the second period and waiting for the clock to run out. Cause I don't think you gain anything from that other than, yeah, you move on, but you don't gain momentum. And we were able to gain, I think, a ton of momentum and hopefully can move us forward. Had you ever been in a situation, I mean, I'm sure over the years, probably at some point, but uh, where you had a long overtime like that, or at least going into a second one, it, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time it happened at Merrimack. It's been a few years anyway. I think 16, they had a series against UNH at home that went to double overtime. But uh, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're trying to like kind of manage players and, and manage the just the overall, the, the t- how taxing it can be on players when, when you're going into a multiple overtime situation like that? Yeah, it happened to me a couple times at UNH, one at the Garden, um, and we played BU for a long time. Um, and then uh, it happened that when I was at UNH, when we played Providence, that happened to us in a game of Providence, actually a deciding game three. Um, and it was, you know, it was obviously we won it. It was exciting. It, it was fun to be part of. The, uh, this particular situation was unique in that, in, in both those situations, I don't remember having multiple players on the bench cramping um, and having to either one play through it or having to juggle lines or things to get, help guys get through that. Uh, this game, I think, was so emotional that uh, they probably pushed our guys there quicker. And so we did have a couple of guys fighting that. But, um, but you know, that's, that even makes it better to get through it together, you know. So that was even more exciting. Yeah, I mean, is there a, what? What do you kind of tell guys between periods? Is it a, is it a different like I, between the first and second overtime? Is it a different type of intermission than maybe you know between the second and third period? Do you have more guys trying to maybe stretch out or just uh, eating, drinking fluids, you know, doing anything they can to try to make sure that cramping issue doesn't doesn't come up? Yeah, that was the big thing after the first. Is it uh, first overtime uh, that, that we had to get supplies into the room? That lesson learned. I should have been there already. You know. And, in a um, playoff setting because that game can go on until there's a winner. Uh, but, you know, I think we were um, underprepared for right in our room, but very prepared right outside our room. And people got us the stuff we needed. Um, and we were able to get some electrolytes into the guys. And I think that was a really good thing. Um, and then just change over. They changed over all the drinks on the bench from water to, to Gatorade. Uh, again, to, to push the electrolytes. Um, and it, it seemed to settle us down a little bit, but certainly the, the in between the first, second overtime, there's not a lot you're talking about structurally. We were just trying to get the guys, you know, back up, you know, back feeling fresh and getting themselves ready to, you know, play a, a really good second overtime. Yeah, it was interesting too. I mean, all the guys I talked to on Saturday after the game all pointed out uh, that, that Derek, the trainer, did, did a really good job of, of helping them kind of manage that and get through those situations. And then, uh, you know, I look up online and it's like, oh, well, you know, your trainers run marathons and, and Ironmans and everything else. It's like, you know, to have a guy like that in the room that, that has the experience of going through, you know, endurance settings like that, I'm sure helped as well. Oh, yeah, Derek was, was great. And the good thing with that, when you have his experience in that situation, is there's no panic. I mean, there's two ways to go about that, right? One, one is that guys start running around like chickens with their heads cut off, and that just adds to the stress of the room and the situation. Well, like in Derek's case, been there, done that. Okay, we need to do this. Uh, he has that, you know, not too far away. He gets, gets that taken care of. 
I just put us in a better position and it did feel, I didn't, I think I might've read your article and seen that he had done those things. I didn't realize that he had, uh, but knowing how he responded that day, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> uh, I would imagine, you know, after an emotional game like that and just a physically taxing game like that, uh, I don't know what the schedule is like, but I, I would assume maybe Sunday was a lighter day and then you got into a regular weekly practice rotation starting on Monday. Yeah, we actually took Sunday and Monday off. Um, ironically, the last four weeks, we came back from that game at Maine. After we, that was our third loss, I think, in a row in overtime. We had the following weekend off and uh, just decided that let's take Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I think, you know, when you take days in a row off, there's a cumulative recovery effect. Um, and then we had a great practice on that Wednesday um, and really started to get our game back right around that time. And I felt it was it had something to do with the two days in a row off, in that case, three days. So we've stuck to that um, the entire last six weeks. And it's, uh, it's been productive, and we start on Tuesday, and the guys know that, um, and they're, they're ready to go. Usually Tuesday is a very good practice because it's so fresh. Yeah, and especially at this time of year, too, I'm sure the, the extra days add up. And like you said, the, the back-to-backs, when you're able to get them in a row, that's really where you can get some recovery and the kind of one day off and then back to work. It probably doesn't allow the, your body to recover as much, and especially at this time of year where, I mean, you know, guys are going to be as, as banged up as they've been all season. That's kind of true throughout the country. Exactly. I totally agree. And, and I don't know if there's a team in the country that's had a more emotional season than us. Um, you know, from the obvious start, which was tragic, to the uh, middle of the year when we really uh, couldn't find ourselves, uh, and then coming out of that as a group um, and, and having some success down the stretch. So I, I think our team has spent a lot of emotion to this point, and, um, you know, it, it's, the rest is important. It's almost more important, the rest of recovery, than it is to go out and practice. How different does this week look like? I, I think... Uh, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you guys will have the opportunity to practice at the Garden on Thursday, and then I think you stay in 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 by the Garden starting Thursday night, right? So does that make the, the schedule any different than in what it would normally look like? Or for the most part, is it you know, you're still practicing Thursday, just in a different location, and it's probably good to get a, a skate in on that ice? Well, the unfortunate reality is the Garden made no ice available for this week until oh, no. Friday. Okay. okay. I think, there's a, I think there's a concert there Thursday night, and I don't know if there was a concert there the last two nights or not. I don't know why that was the case. Um, so we will not skate there until Friday morning, um, which isn't ideal, uh, but there are, you know, what I try to look at the positives. The positive is we'll have a real Thursday practice versus one where the guys are looking around the building, um, and they'll stay focused and ready to go. We'll leave Thursday after practice um, and get into the hotel there, the, the tournament hotel, and get a good night rest and go from that. Yeah, I remember, I mean, obviously you've been down there a bunch of times with, with UNH and Providence, but I, I remember the last time Merrimack was there, one of the, the common themes, because I think I covered the Thursday practice, and one of the common themes that guys were saying was it was so much warmer than they had anticipated, just uh, just a warmer building. Uh, do you remember anything like that from having been there in the past that you can kind of convey to these guys? Because obviously when you're in an NHL setup like that, I'm sure just refrigeration systems and everything, the ice can behave a little differently than, than what you've become accustomed to. Well, ironically, uh, when I was at UNH, the Whittemore Center and at Providence Schneider, those rinks were, were pretty toasty too. Uh, we never really talked about that. Uh, but certainly from Lawler, 
uh, it's going to be a huge difference. And we've experienced that a couple of times at UMass was like that. This year is really warm. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I try not to bring those things, you know, get us ready to get us prepared for it. But at the same time, understand that both teams are dealing with whatever the circumstances is. And uh, you, there's no sense in us paying too much attention to it because we can't change it. Um, so let's just, you know, play forward, understand it's going to be the case. Maybe you dress a little bit differently in your undergarments. But other than that, you know, you just got to play on. And, of course, you're going to be playing against a UMass Lowell team that you're familiar with. Just played play them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they had a they played really well, I thought, against UConn the other night, especially their goaltender uh, on Saturday. Uh, what, I mean, we talked about Lowell not too long ago, but what, what do you kind of take away from that series from whatever it was, two or three weeks back? And, you know, I would imagine this, for myself, looking ahead, this looks like it could be a, a dogfight and a slugfest on, on Friday, uh, the, way, the way both you guys play. Yeah, you know, I think Lowell's really good. Uh, I was not at all surprised to see him get that game down at UConn. Uh, they force you to pay a big price to get, get any ice on the rank. And um, if you are not going to pay that price, you won't be successful. And uh, we have to be willing to pay that price. We were in the, in the series that we played them, but this is a different animal, you know. They play playoff hockey every day of the year. Um, and we need to be ready to match that or, or exceed that. And, you know, to do that against UMass Lowell, one of Normie's teams, is, is very, very difficult to do. Um, but that's our challenge. You know, they've been here. Uh, that was one of the things, the reason I know they didn't have ice at the guard on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, because when I heard about Thursday, I said, well, can we get in there any day this week? Because we're the one team who hasn't been there in a long time. Zero players in our roster have played at the Boston Guard. And, I believe every other roster that's there has guys on it who played there. Um, you know, the B part obviously had whole teams played there. You know, Providence, I think, was there two years ago. Um, you know, Lowell was there last year. So I, it's not an advantage one way or the other. It just would have been nice to get our guys, uh, you know, accustomed to it. But, you know, it is what it is. We, and, again, we just got to play forward. I know back, I mean, it was probably back two or three years ago at this point, uh, when we were talking about how you were trying to build this roster, one of the comparisons you made frequently with me was uh, playing like Lowell, kind of building a team the same way, building a team that would have that same identity. Uh, and it seems like you know yourself and, and obviously the staff has been able to do that because there, does, there seems to be a lot of similarities. When, when you look at the way they play and the way you guys play, uh, do you notice those same things? And I guess, was that... Has that been realized? I mean, in terms of like being able to play a lot like how they've been able to play over the years, because it's been pretty consistent with Norm's teams going back, you know, 10 years now. Uh, the players may change, but the way they play seems to stay the same. Yeah, it does. And that's a credit to him, you know, for sure. Uh, and, and the program he's built there. Um, I, I would say that we, you know, we are similar. I, I think just look at the two schools. I mean, we're going to have success in very similar ways because the league is the way the league is built, you know, um, obviously they do have the bells and whistles of the Sanga center. So that may be something that can help them in certain scenarios. Uh, whereas we don't, um, uh, but I love that too. Cause that's, you know, that's exactly who we are. Law arena is exactly who we are. It's exactly who we want to be. Um, and that's how we can be successful in this league. We can't do it the way other teams do it. And Lowell, I think no one must've realized that when he first got the job and, He's made it, um, you know, made it this far by doing the things that he does really well and getting his team to do them well. 
how important too do you think just kind of looking ahead and in, in what hopefully is is uh, you know several more games coming up here for you guys but the experience factor because it was one of the things I was thinking about watching the game on Saturday get a lot of experience on the ice but for factors you know outside of your control there, there wasn't a ton of playoff experience right because you guys were were uh, eliminated with COVID a couple of years ago uh, you know even the transfers that came in they had their, their conference playoff runs not all of them had you know deep runs so it just felt like that game on Saturday was important for a number of levels because even though you guys have a ton of experience overall on your roster in terms of you know a lot of seniors and graduate students that kind of do or die playoff experience to, to have the game you had on Saturday that could go a long way I felt like well, if you look at it, none of the five grad transfers had any real playoff experience last year. I mean, they had a little bit RIT with Will, um, but Holy Cross didn't with Ryan, um, and you know Brown didn't with Tristan, um, and you know Lepi I think went one more round, but you know, no one played in their final four or made you know significant runs with their teams. And so, yes, I do think it's important to have that experience under your belt. Uh, and we had it, we got it in that game, but we didn't have it going into the game. That's a big narrative that a lot of people want to start, you know, and I just, I'm so sick of it. It's, it's gross to me, but, um, you know, say la vie, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to see Merrimack get better. And so they start a narrative that, uh, oh, this is why. And, you know, I can't say on radio what I would like to say, but, uh, they can do that to themselves. <laughs> uh, I guess any final thoughts before we, we, we let you go. I know, obviously, the school has done a pretty good job of getting people to sell tickets. I think someone told me today from the league that the building was – a lot of tickets were sold. They were like, you know, if people want tickets, they better get them ahead of time. Uh, but it just seems like, again, the, the school has rallied around the program the same way it did over the weekend, the same way it did for basketball. This is kind of when Merrimack shines. I, and I remember from 10 years ago, too. This is really when, when the school really shines the most, I think, and, and rallies, around, rallies around the program. Well – you know, it, uh, they sold 1,300 student tickets in 15 minutes when they opened it up. And wouldn't you know it, my uh, stepson, who's a student, I said, hey, get a student ticket because tickets are going to be tight. He was not one of those 13, uh, first 1,300 <laughs> uh, to get his ticket. And so, um, you know, it just it, it's great to see the support from the community. It's great to see it from the campus. Um, you know, hey, this is exciting for Merrimack College. It's exciting for our program. It's exciting for North Andover, just like, you know, that basketball game that we all witnessed. Um, you know, our guys stormed the court, you know. Tell me another hockey team in this league that would storm the court for their basketball team. You know, you, I don't think you'd find it. And so I, I think that uh, as a community, we've come together in a way that's pushing our program and certainly making us feel very, very appreciated by those in our community. Well, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Coach, but one of the things I did want to ask you about, too, was uh, the, the year-end awards were announced today. Uh, Alex Jeffries, you know, obviously, uh, kudos to him for being a finalist for Player of the Year. It, uh, it went to Devin Levi. You were a finalist for Coach of the Year. It went to, uh, to Jay Pandolfo. I wrote today, I thought it was pretty clear-cut, and I'm not trying to blow smoke. You would have had my vote. Uh, I thought you and Ben Barr at Maine were, were one and two. Uh, but they don't let the media vote, so I didn't have a vote. But uh, obviously, you know, congrats for being in, in consideration there and on a great season. And, and you know, I, I, I will be the one to say it. I think you, you, may, have gotten, you may have gotten screwed there a little bit. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. That's why we'll get along forever. Uh, but 
I, um, you know, it's it, it, every coach who wins this award says the same thing, and I'm sure Jay is going to say the exact same thing. It's a team award. It's based upon your team's success. It's based upon your team's, you know, improvement. It's based upon where your team was picked in the standings and what your team was able to accomplish. And I think as coaches, we get too much blame, and sometimes we get too much credit. Um, and in this particular situation, I, I don't, you know, I, I have enough um, – personal satisfaction with this team. I don't need someone else to validate that, um, certainly. But I will say that my team could have been validated by that. And I've heard too many people in the league uh, start this narrative that we're older and that's why we're winning or we're doing something wrong, that that's why we've had success. And, you know, it's frustrating because we aren't the oldest team in the league. There's a year difference from the oldest to the youngest team and we're neither one of those two teams. But it just... Um, we have to build our team a certain way and to be successful. And we've done that. We got fortunate that we had such great young men. And I'm not talking about the grad transfer guys. I'm talking about the grad transfers. I'm talking about the freshmen. I'm talking about the third string goalie. I'm talking about a group of young men who went through the most emotional season that I have ever been a part of and came out of it on the other side. And they should be really, really proud. And in my eyes, they should have been recognized, but, they're not, you know, Alex Jeffries, you know, he was with two great players in that situation, but Hey, who had more of an impact on their team's success? We're still playing. I'd say Alex did. So um, it is what it is. I think there's a real strong sentiment and no one will say it, but I'm going to say it that uh, teams just don't respect Merrimack and it's uh, it's sad. And I hope we can keep, keep competing at this level uh, as long as I'm here and beyond. Um, but it, it is, uh, I don't think it's an embarrassment to our program. I'd rather think it's an embarrassment uh, to the people out there who chose not to recognize that program. And I'm very, very comfortable with it because that's been the case for a long time at Merrimack. Yeah, no, and, and, I'll, and I will say this, uh, you know, I will say <laughs> if, if, some, if other teams are upset at transfers, well, you can also take them uh, the same way that coaches criticize uh, and others criticize Mark Dennehy because of the fact that they had gone and recruited older players. They, they, were, they criticized Rick Bennett at Union for doing the same thing when he won the national title. Well, guess what? You could also recruit older players. No one's saying that you can't. Uh, it's just, you know, this, <laughs> it's crazy to me, but it exists. But anyway, uh, well, thanks again, coach. I appreciate it. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's a small world, and I think that uh, we need to work harder as a group to, to not be critical of people and how they find success, and also, uh, in certain instances, not be jealous of those people finding success. And I think uh, Merrimack College and the way it's going right now, the, the week we had last week with the Tuesday night victory in the NEC championship game, a women's team playing in the semifinal, a uh, women's basketball team playing in the semifinal of the NEC, uh, our hockey team now getting a chance to play in the semifinal, we're in a really good place as a school. We're in a really good place as an athletic department, and uh, I'm just proud to be part of it. All right, Coach. Well, uh, best of luck this weekend. Obviously, it's a big one. Uh, we'll talk again soon, but best of luck hanging into the weekend. Okay, Mike. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend yourself. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully, we're back here doing another one next week as Merrimack gets ready to play in the NCAA tournament. We'll see. Uh, the Warriors don't have to win on Friday to get in, but they become uh, 
very much on the bubble if they don't. They're really on the bubble either way. Uh, they, it's about a 60-point swing in the pairwise. So they've got about a 90% chance to get into the NCAA tournament with a win over Lowell. They have about a 20% chance to get into the NCAA tournament uh, if they lose to Lowell on Friday night. That could all change depending upon what else happens Friday night. Those are just probabilities based upon the situation as it is right now. And I'll update that in my story on Friday, win or lose. Of course, Merrimack has a 100% chance of making the NCAA tournament if they win the Hockey's Championship. So we'll see what happens. It should be an interesting weekend. Thanks again for listening to the show and downloading the podcast. We will talk to you soon. So long. So long.